1: Welcome to our Ebenezer family and to all of our online viewers. I'm so glad you've chosen to connect with us. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. Now, on the second Sunday, we light the second purple candle. This candle represents love. The love God expressed to us in sending us his son, Jesus. Some traditions call this the Bethlehem candle, symbolizing Christ's manger. In Luke 2:12, we read, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. For the last number of weeks, we've been considering the question, why Jesus? What is it about Jesus and the claims of Jesus that make him worth following? What is it about Jesus that make him worthy of centering all of our lives upon him? Why Jesus? Over the course of the past few weeks, we've looked at this question from several different perspectives based on our new mission statement. Our mission is to point people to Jesus and help them know and follow him. We point people to Jesus because we believe he is the way and the truth and the life. That's what Jesus says about himself in John 14, verse 6. He's the way, not just the way to God, but the way to reconciliation, justice, and restoration. We believe he's the truth, not just the truth about God, but the truth about humankind and this world. We believe he's the life, not just eternal life, but a better and fuller life. Now, last week, Pastor Cal talked about eternal life and how eternal life is really about being in the presence of God knowing him and experiencing him for all eternity, because God himself is an eternal God. And it takes that long for us to understand him. It takes for eternity and what a joyful place that will be. Today we're asking why Jesus from a little bit different perspective. Why is Jesus worth following in the here and now? Why is the life that Jesus offers us while we're living on this earth better than any other way of living? Have you ever rented a car and discovered that when you go to the rental car desk that the class of vehicle that you've requested is unavailable? Let's say you wanted something that was small and easy to park and did really well on gas, an economy car, a subcompact, something like that. Maybe, maybe like a Chevy Sonic, but because everyone else wants a car that's easy to park and great on gas, all the subcompacts are already rented out. They're gone. Well, what happens when you find yourself in that situation? Well, the rental company will offer you a free upgrade. So what would you do if you'd made arrangements to rent a Sonic, but the free upgrade was a new Corvette? What would you do? Would you take it? Way more style, way more power, far better handling and braking. This is the first year that the Vets a mid-engine. All the bells and whistles, all the tech upgrades. I think that all of us would take the VET. I think all of us would take the upgrade. The vet would be far more satisfying and exciting than the sonic by a long, long way. In John 10, 10, Jesus said this, "'The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full.' And some translations say, have it abundantly." That was the NIV. The New Living says this, "'The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life.'" That's what Jesus wants for us. He wants to give us a full life, an abundant life, a rich and satisfying life. Jesus wants to give us a significant upgrade when it comes to the life, even the life that we're living now. He wants to take us from a a humdrum kind of plain life, no offense if you drive a subcompact, and he wants to give us a life that's exciting and powerful, a life that moves us, a life that is more fulfilling than we ever thought possible. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, typically, when we read this verse, we think of it as a reference to the future blessings of eternal life. And it is, but it's also a reference to the blessings in this present life. It's a reference to the present and to eternity. What Paul is saying here is that we can't imagine what God has in store for us in terms of the abundant life and that abundant life can start now. Well how does this work? How do we understand this? I think if we take just a couple of minutes and look at the words used in the original languages for life that 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 would be helpful for us. Now there's several words used but we're only going to need to look at two. The first word is bios. We find it in the parable of the sower. Here's an example. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. Bios here refers to the physical life of an individual. It's where we get our word biology. Now, the second word that we want to look at is zoe, Z-O-E. And the example that we use here is in John 1 verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now here, Zoe refers to the eternal life of God, the divine life, the life uniquely possessed by God. This is the word used of both the tree of life in Genesis 2-9 and in Revelation 22-14. These are Zoe life. Interesting, the Bible is bookended with Zoe life. When we were physically born, we were given bios life. But when we're born again, we are given Zoe life. We are given the eternal life of God. When we accept Christ, we receive this Zoe life. We receive life as it was intended to be and life as it will be for all eternity. John 10.10 is Zoe life. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, abundantly rich and satisfying. It is life upgraded. It's the abundant life and it's what God has for us when we place our faith in him. But before we dig into what the abundant life is like, we need to talk about a couple of other things that we see in the passage about life stealers. Back in John 10, 10, the first part says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. The thief in context here was a reference to the Pharisees. That's who Jesus was talking to in John chapter 10. But in terms of the larger picture of spiritual battle, there's also a a, a reference. And it refers to our spiritual enemy, to Satan, to the devil. His plan is to steal the Zoe life, the abundant life from as many as possible. And how does he do this? By lying and deceiving. John 8, When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is, this is Jesus talking about Satan. He is the master deceiver. Satan is the deceiver. And he deceives us by including just enough truth to get us to take the bait and bite on his deception but ultimately as we as we go down that path it only leads to further disappointment when my boys and i go riding our dirt bikes up in the Nesbitt forest there's one place in the trail that can be a bit tricky there's this fork there's this fork in the trail and it looks exactly the same if you go to the right to the left and not only initially but for the first 10 minutes of riding it looks the same both are tight both are twisty they're flanked by medium-sized poplar trees but the right hand trail that leads to this whole entire section of of other trails in the area they're a total blaster ride. you can be there for the rest of the day and never go over the same place twice but the left trail first 10 minutes is great but all of a sudden the mud starts to get A little bit deeper the ruts start to get a little bit deeper and it starts smelling really nasty and you come around this corner and you're you're working hard even to get to this point but all of a sudden it opens up to this great big huge slough that's impassable by dirt bike and you have to turn around in the deep ruts and the center of the bike is getting hung up and you're slipping and you're falling in the mud and it it smells horrible see this is how Satan deceives us This is how he steals the Zoe life that God intended for us. He includes includes just enough truth at the beginning to make his path appear attractive at first. But after you've taken the hook, after you've gone that way and you go down that path for a little while, all of a sudden you realize that you have been deceived. Life stealers. Satan wants to steal that life away from us. What are some of those? Let's look at them this morning. Pleasure—that's a lay stealer. Many people think if they could only own that house, or take that trip, or retire in luxury, luxury, then they would be really living. And a lot of people actually achieve these things, but they find that they still feel empty. Ecclesiastes says, "The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its full, its fill rather of hearing." It doesn't matter what sort of earthly pleasures we gain; eventually, the law of diminishing returns takes over. It takes a bigger and bigger thrill. That's, that's what happens. It takes this bigger thrill to bring on the same high and it never lasts. There's another life stealer and that's the, the stealer of performance. There's a myth out there that says success produces life. The satisfaction of a victory won or a job completed, however, is short lived. Ecclesiastes again, written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon says this, there was a certain man He worked all the time, and yet his eyes were never happy with the riches that he had. It doesn't matter how great our accomplishments are, and even winners of Stanley Cup's find this, sports celebrities, they they expect this huge high, but then they realize how disappointed they are. It doesn't matter how great the accomplishment, we will always be left wanting more, and more is never enough. There's another life sealer that we we often... uh, Fall into, And that's the the stealer of possessions. Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Those who pursue money and possessions might appear happy at first, but inwardly, if you really talk to them, they're asking, why is it that I have more money than I've ever had before? And yet I'm less content than I've ever been before all the wealth and possessions in the world will never satisfy. Lastly, there's the thief of pursuits, the life stealer of pursuits. Some people are deluded into thinking that if they stay busy enough, if their pace remains at this crazy intense level, they'll be happy. They just, they love to push. They love to go. They love to feel every second of their, of their day as much as possible. And they think they'll be happy if they do this. Yet in the end, all they find is stress and ulcers and heart attacks. Life stealers are are all around, and we follow that path so easily, but they don't really give us true life. So why is it that the life Jesus offers us is better than any other way of living? Because that which the world offers is really a distortion of true life. That's how the enemy plays us. He distorts things that are real, just enough that in the end, they end up being false and destructive. Life-stealers appear as life-givers at first, but in the reality, they just suck life out of us. Ultimately, they yield disappointment, destruction, and even death. The things of this world never really satisfy. So what does the upgraded life look like? What does the abundant life, the Zoe life, look like? We're going to look at that for a couple of minutes now. And I need to say, this is not an exhaustive description. There's so much in scripture that talks about this upgraded life, this abundant life. And I chosen to just stay in ch- the chapter that we, we read from earlier, John chapter 10. But even there, we see that there are a number of things that we find that describe Zoe life. First thing we need to understand is that the abundant life can begin now, John 10, 7 to 9. Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved." The story's told of George Adam Smith, an Englishman who traveled extensively to the Middle East. At one point in his travels, he came across a sheepfold. And his tour guide at that point was a shepherd. And so he asks, is that where the sheep go in at night? Well, yes, said the shepherd. And when they're in there, they're perfectly safe. But there's no door. Said the Englishman. Well, I'm, I'm the door, the shepherd replied. What do you mean you're the door? The shepherd answered, When the light has gone out and all the sheep are inside, I lie in that open space. No sheep goes out unless he crosses over my body, and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. Jesus says, I am the door. He is the entranceway to life, to, the, to this abundant life. And that life comes by means of the body of Christ. His blood shed for us at the cross, his body broken for us at the cross. And what Jesus is saying here in John 10 is essentially what he says in our core verse for our mission statement in John 14:6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This life, is the Zoe life that belongs to God and becomes ours when we cross through the doorway of Jesus and enter into a relationship with God. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. The Zoe life is possible for us to, to receive now. Some of us, We're bored by the monotony of routine. Some are caught in the drudgery of existence, but God has so much more for us. This real life, this abundant life, and that can begin right here and right now, simply by placing our trust in Jesus. The second thing that we see in John 10 is that the abundant life is knowing deeply and being deeply known. Now, one of the biggest problems that people deal with today, quite honestly, if we were all truthful and stepped away from our Facebook accounts for a little bit, I think a lot of people are dealing with loneliness, especially in the midst of a pandemic. But the abundant life means it will never be alone. John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Now the disciples who were with Jesus during his earthly ministry knew Jesus better than anyone else. They did everything with him. But it wasn't until the day of the resurrection, when Jesus imparted the Holy Spirit to his disciples in John 20, that they knew him inwardly in their spirit instead of only outwardly in their flesh. See, when we put our trust in Jesus, the same spirit of God who indwelt the disciples comes and dwells in us. It's through the work of the spirit of God that we can know the Lord more fully, more fully than we ever thought possible. He helps us understand his word. He helps us grasp how massive his love is for us. He teaches us. He reveals truth to us. He convicts us when we're headed down the wrong path. And he empowers us to walk as his children. By the Spirit of God, we know Christ. And by the same Spirit, we are known by him. He knows our hearts. He rejoices with our joys. He sympathizes in our pain. He he gets our longings. He gets that inner stuff that no one else knows. He gets that and he understands our weaknesses. Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest, and it's speaking of Jesus here, who was unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. The abundant life means we will never be alone. The abundant life means we'll never fly solo. Jesus will always be with us. He understands us. He gets our deepest needs, joys and sorrows. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, poverty 18, 24, and he'll never leave us or forsake us. There's a third point that I wanna bring out this morning. The abundant life is having direction. We live in a day and an age when there is information overlord. overlord. The internet gives us access to everything from mechanics and carpentry to recipes to alternative media and medicine. There's so much information online and everyone seems to have an opinion. How do you discern what's right? Where can you go to understand what direction you should head when there's so much coming at us? John 10 again, verse 3. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. We've been taking a seminar as an MADs family called Hearing God. Many of us have been here Tuesday nights and we've moved it online the last few weeks few weeks, and we're learning in our seminar that God still speaks to his people. Now, some of us might find that challenging. For myself, I grew up in a church and, in fact, served in this church as youth pastor later on that held to a cessationist position when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, essentially, this means that because the canon of Scripture is complete, there's no longer any need for the Spirit of God to verify the kingdom of God through signs and wonders. And so the work of the Holy Spirit has ceased. That's the position, the cessationist. And yet we are learning in our seminar, and I'm relying heavily on the seminar material at this point, that God actually designed it so that kingdom truths cannot be fully understood without spiritual assistance. Oftentimes they're hidden. Jesus said, "...the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, and though hearing they may not understand." Jesus also said that truths about the kingdom of God cannot be understood by human intelligence or education alone. They are ultimately revealed by God. Uh, Luke 10, 21, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. The scriptures themselves, in fact, can't be properly understood apart from the revealing ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's something else that we're learning. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. Jesus' closest companions were able to understand the scriptures and the wonders and the workings of the kingdom of God through the revealing work of the Holy Spirit. And as his children, we can too couple questions for you and these are from our seminar and I'm borrowing heavily on that as I mentioned earlier but here's a couple of questions have you ever been on the brink of heading a certain direction and then changed at the last minute because you felt uneasy very suddenly have you ever felt a prompting or a nudge or an urgency to do or not do something have you ever heard a sermon that seems to be speaking directly at you like the preacher was talking just to you Has there been a time when a Bible verse that you read seemed to be directed at a particular situation or circumstance that you were going through? Have you ever been reading scripture when suddenly a thought came to you that helped you understand the passage in a way you hadn't understood it before? If you can answer yes to any one of these questions, you've heard from God. You've heard him speaking into your life. And this is what we can expect as a part of the abundant life. God leads us. He directs us. In my own personal experience, there's been numerous times when God has brought a passage to mind that spoke directly to the situation that I was experiencing and where I needed guidance. And the result for me, when God brings those things to mind by his Spirit, is a peace that just satisfies and it changes you. God speaks to those who follow him. He speaks and he guides and he directs. Now, those that don't know Jesus, they're left to their own understanding and wisdom. And from my own experience, that isn't always the best. But living the abundant life means that God will direct us and lead us and guide us. The abundant life is a life of peace. John 10 verse 9, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Now the phrase come in and go out is an interesting phrase. It's a Hebrew term referring to the act Activities of daily life. I I go in, I go out, that's I'm living life. Now to find pasture describes a settled and satisfied life. This is what's experienced by those who are under the guidance of the Shepherd. It fits into this larger analogy. Now the Apostle Paul expressed joy and peace in the midst of difficulty and hardship. I'm going to read from Philippians here, verse uh, 11 of chapter 4. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then here's a the secret. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, the abundant life that Jesus promises isn't necessarily a long life or a comfortable life or a life filled with material and financial prosperity. It's not, it's not that. The abundant life that Paul experienced and understood was a life of satisfaction and contentment in Jesus, regardless of circumstance. Because it's a, it's a contented life, because it's based in the fact that God is equal to every emergency and able to supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory of glory in, in Christ Jesus. It's a life of deep soul satisfaction. That's the life of peace. And that's what the abundant life has in store for those who follow Jesus. Back in Philippians, I want to read what Paul wrote. And he wrote this actually from prison. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the last thing that I want to point out from John 10 is that the abundant life is forever. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. Now the first thing that we notice here is that Jesus gives us eternal life. It's not something we can earn, it's a gift given. We receive it by faith. And once we embrace the gift of salvation, it's made completely secure by the power of God who is greater than all. And that's quoting Jesus. He's greater, God is greater than all. This reveals the strength of God, which is greater than all, including the power of the enemy, making it impossible for the believer to be taken away from the heavenly father. In my line of work, I've had the privilege of walking with a number of people who are in the last stages of this journey on earth. Those who have embraced the abundant life have a peace and a security that's undeniable. Well, visiting in hospital with one sister in the faith years ago, a nurse came in to introduce herself. And she was obviously back from days off. She hadn't met this person before. And when asked how she was doing, this dear saint replied that her cancer was very serious and most likely it would take her. Going back to her earthly home would be wonderful, but going to her heavenly home would be truly amazing. And then she sat on the edge of the bed and she said, but I'm good either way. What security, what peace. Those who haven't trusted in Jesus, they go through their last days very differently. The thought of death is very overwhelming. The family that's left behind grieves without hope. And I think there's a few words that seem to describe it. It's it's harsh, it's sharp, it cuts. I think tragedy sums it up. Now I'm not saying believers don't grieve the loss or, or feel the pain, we do but there's a peace and a hope as well that comes because this abundant life that we have in Christ means that we are secure forever in the presence of God. That brings peace. Paul says it so well in Romans eight, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any power, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so in closing today, I simply wanna ask, where are you at? Where are you at? If you're standing at the fork in the trail, deciding which way to go, I just wanna remind you that at first it looks really good, but it's only after we've taken the bait that we discover that the world's path only leads to disappointment and despair and ultimately to death. But there's another way, there's another path And that's the path of the abundant life, that's the upgraded life, the rich and satisfying life that Jesus offers to all of us. My desire for you today is that you would choose life, choose life, the abundant life that God has for us. Father, I wanna thank you that you love us so much. I wanna thank you that you sent Christ to walk among us and ultimately to give himself for us. And I thank you that when we put our faith and trust in him, that you give to us that abundant life, that Zoe life, that life to the full. And so for those of us that have made that decision to follow you, I pray that you might just encourage us and build us and help us understand that life that you have given even more so. Give us greater joy, even still, as we walk this abundant life with you. And for those that are standing at the path today and they're deciding which way to go, they're at the fork in the road. I pray that you would help them understand the deception that's out there and how the the enemy deceives us and how his path only leads to disappointment and even destruction and ultimately death. Give us understanding Lord, lift blinders, remove those those things from our eyes that blind us to what you have for those who are standing at that fork in the road. And I pray that you might by your spirit just reveal to them that you give life and that you give it abundantly And so I pray that they would recognize that and see that even now. Thank you for this incredible gift that you give us. And I I pray now that you would encourage us and continue to give us grace and power and strengthen us to live the life that you have for us. And we give you thanks and praise now for that abundant life. We ask all of this now in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Well, hi again, Ebenezer family. We're gonna conclude our service today by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. And uh, I've grown to, to really love this, this table. Uh, it's it's uh, an important, intimate, meaningful time for those of us who believe. And really the Lord's Supper and celebrating it is really for those who believe in Jesus Christ. It doesn't make sense for those who don't believe. And I just want to remind you again what this table represents for us. Uh, first of all, it represents sacrifice. It, it's a story of, of God, uh, God's love for us and Jesus' obedience for us. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of, of being set free from the sin that once held us. It's a story of Jesus coming at just the right time while we needed him most. Uh, there's a song we, we sing uh, at church. It's called What a Beautiful Name. And one of the verses says, You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. My sin was great. Your love is greater. What can separate us now? And when Jesus came to earth and when he died on the cross, he created a way for us to be with God in heaven forever. And that brings me to the third thing this table represents, it represents restoration. It's a a time that God restored us, that he he justified us, that he made us right with his Father again so that we could be set free from our sin. And then finally, uh, this table represents hope. And this is a table of hope for us. It's a, a table where it reminds us that just as Jesus died, And he rose again from the dead that we will one day die, but we will rise again with him to be with him in heaven. And so that's why we we celebrate this this table this morning. And so we take uh, our story from Jesus when he met with his disciples uh, the night before he was betrayed. And in Matthew 26, it says that that the disciples gathered in the upper room. And as they're eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he asked God's blessing on it. And then it says that he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples. And as he gave it to him, he says, uh, take heat. This is my body broken for you. Let's eat this together. And then it says he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, saying, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins uh, for many. Let's drink this together. I would like to pray and just thank God for his great sacrifice for us on the cross. And, and as I do, would you think of, of why this table is meaningful to you and your family? And maybe if you're uh, with others, Your family, you can just uh, stop and share why this table is important for you and the significance of it in your life. Let me pray for us. So God the Father and Jesus the Son, we thank you for all that you did for us on the cross. God, it's remarkable that at the beginning of time you had a plan in place, and that plan meant that you would send your son Jesus, and Jesus, that you would be obedient, that you would empty yourself of all that you had in heaven and come down to earth to be man for us so that we might be able to see God and and know you, and so that you would live the life, a perfect life for us, and be the sacrifice that would redeem us, that that would make us whole again. And so, Jesus, for your obedience on the cross and for you, you going there willingly for us, and God, for you looking at your Son as he took the sin of the world upon him and turning your face on him and hearing his words saying, Why are you forsaking me? Thank you that you have done that for us because of your great love for us. And so Jesus, we don't want to squander your sacrifice. We want to say that, that we love you because you first loved us and that we can walk as redeemed people because of your sacrifice on the cross. That we can have, have uh, wholeness with God and we can speak to God and enter into his, into his throne room because of all that you've done for us in the cross. And your cross represents, um, represents healing It represents love, and it represents hope for us. And so, God, even in this Christmas season, uh, with all the things around us in this world, help us to remember your great love, that when you came down, you came for a purpose. And your purpose was to reveal the Father and to die for our sins. And so we thank you for that. And we just want to say to you, God, and to you, Jesus, that we love you with all our heart and help us to love you more and more. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.